0: So turn to John 15 so we can learn together. We're continuing in our Abide uh, series. That is our new theme for the year. Uh, we, uh, you can see the glorious banners that we've put up. Hopefully, it's not, when, we, when we get to the end of the year, it's not about the banners. Hopefully, when we get to the end of the year, it's about looking around the room and seeing the fruit of God's love working through us and, and hearing what God has done. Hopefully it's about that. And uh, I've been very, very excited. I don't know why this theme is taking off, but literally three times this past week, I've had people, without me even bringing it up, talk about bearing fruit. And so so starting to talk about this, starting to to conceptually think this way, God's doing something. I'm very excited about this. and And so even in abiding, people have been talking about it. It's... It, I'm... We'll see where God leads us in all of this. Uh, This past week, as as, uh, you turn to John 15, we'll be in verses 12 through 17 today as we're working through the text. Great, fantastic. We're good to go here. I I went to a movie. Now, I don't normally uh, stand up here and share with you Uh, about movies I go to. I think I've done it three or four times since I've been here. Um, I will share this relative to Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, Every once in a while, your pastor will go to a movie that is rated above PG. I know. I know. And I don't recommend that very often. uh, Because I think most of what's out there is trash. And it's not good for us. And it's not entertaining. But I went with my son and his friends this past week to see a movie that was based off a true story called Lone Survivor. Um, And I had a deep interest in this because I had seen some news uh, bulletins and some interviews with Marcus Luttrell, the main character about this group of Navy SEALs that were in a fight in Afghanistan. Two things I walked out of that movie thinking about. One was... Related to the sanctity of human life. God must, because Jesus is God, and this is how I, this is how I, I go this direction, alright? Thinking about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem before He would die for them. I look at the events of what I see on the screen that are depicting what happened in just one battle. Just one battle. Of one war. That doesn't speak to all the persecution that's going on elsewhere. Or even the things that are happening here in the United States that are tragic. That have hit our own church family in the past month. And I thought God must be brought to His knees and weep. To look upon the lack of value that we have for human life. So on that level, it was a very powerful movie for me. On the second level, there was a demonstration of what happened in this movie where this gentleman, this Navy SEAL Marcus, was saved by a very unlikely person. His life was protected by a very unlikely person. And it speaks to one of the points we're going to look at today. Actually, a couple of the points we're going to look at today. He was protected and saved by an Afghani villager based off of a tradition that's millennia years old called a Pashtun Wabi. How many of you know what a Pashtun Wabi is? Fernando knows now because he saw it. Lyndon knows, a couple people. And what happens is, and I'm not, I'm not giving anything away here, this is a reality of the story. By the way, I did a lot of research on this because it's an adaptation so not everything you're going to see in this movie actually happened, but I did my research. And so the things I will tell you are true. As Luttrell was fighting for his life, he was saved by an Afghani herdsman who took him into his village. And he knew the cost of that. But you see, there is an understanding, a history, a lineage, a principle, if you will that resides within those herdsmen's and it's been there for millennia, that if you come upon someone, even if they are your enemy and they are in trouble, it is your duty to help them. Does that sound like a biblical principle? Yeah. And so uh, the name that's given to this gentleman is Mohammed uh, Gulab, which is not his real name, but it's done to protect him. And the friendship that came out of those actions is as deep as the friendship that Marcus had with his comrades that died. So as we look this morning where Jesus says, you are my friends, how does that relate? I want you to picture the newfound friendship that came out of a principle of love as just an example and then take that example and magnify it, will you? based off of what Jesus has done for us. Based off of what Jesus has done for us. Let's look at the verses this morning. We're going to start in verses 12-13 through 13 of chapter 15. We're going to kind of break this down verse by verse as we go through it. We finished with 11 last week. And He's talking about bearing fruit. And the purpose, He says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, and by the way, He's speaking to His disciples. This is either in the upper room as He's preparing to be arrested, or it's maybe in transit, walking at night, going to the Kidron Valley over to the the garden area. We're not sure exactly where it happened. That's not that important. What is important is He's with His disciples. They are scared. They are worried. He has told them that He is leaving And they're in disarray. So now he goes into this great long discourse that John records, where we get insight into Jesus' love and affection and expectation for not only His disciples, but for you and I as well. We want to know how to live and like to please Jesus. This is it. We want to know what our purpose is here on earth. According to God, this is it. We saw in verse 8, go up to verse 8 real quickly because we need to reiterate it. He, he gives us our purpose according to what He desires from us. It is this, by this, our, our bearing fruit, alright, go to verse 7, actually give it some context. If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this My Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples. We talked about that, that there were three things going on here. Number one, that we glorify the Father. That's what Jesus was all about, right? And so he is working through us. He's infusing us, much like that vine infuses the branches and produces fruit. Next, he says that you are to bear much fruit, not just a little bit, not morsels. We had a grapevine in my backyard growing up, and uh, I got really excited when I saw it. there's actually grapes there. And so you have to what? You have to wait. And so I kept waiting, and I would take little pieces, and oh, they were so bitter, and they weren't ready yet. And anybody ever do that? And uh, so I'm like, okay, I'll wait. And then one day I come out, they're all gone. But there's some fat, happy birds sitting on the line. Right? The birds knew when the fruit was ready. I didn't. We are to bear much fruit and ripen fruit. That is His expectation. And by doing so, we then prove to be His what? His disciples. But let's look at verse 11, because at verse 11, He kind of defines what we need to know he says these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How incredible that is. But Jesus is giving us a platform, he's giving us a recipe, he's giving us the ingredients for joy. And so much of the time the church presents what we see as principles in scripture as tasks. These are things you got to do, you got to you got to produce, you got to make it happen, you got to, you know, uh, how many converts have you had this week, uh, Janine? And uh, how many Bible studies did you lead this week, uh, Brad? And, and let's just check Mark. And how many of you are from, you know, Southern Baptist background? Go ahead. You can admit it. Um, and, and remember, you know, we had the whole board somewhere in the church that talked about we had this many in Sunday school last week. And for the year, we had this many. And we had, the, you know, in and, and this, this many baptisms. And we have created this culture that it's about. We We got. We got that one done, we got that one done, we got that one done. Our purpose for bearing fruit according to Christ is that we may have joy. We may have His joy. Don't lose the umbrella view of all of this, my friends. But don't lose the idea and the aspect that we aren't to just sit back and experience God's joy. He expects us to bear fruit. This is our purpose. And the result of that is joy. We're going to hear another result coming up at the end today. So predicating all of that. Now let's move in to verse 12. So he comes into another segment. He comes into a re-emphasis point and he starts all over and he says this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. As Mohammed Gulab came upon Marcus Luttrell, Marcus was in bad shape. There was a possibility he would die from his wounds. While he had been shot multiple times, those bullets had exited his body, but I believe he said he had a broken back from falling all the way down this mountain, and his leg was torn up. Um, He had watched the rest of his... Well, I won't give it all away in case you want to see it. Anyway, the herdsman could have just looked at him and and thought, he ain't going to make it. He could have looked at him and said, I I dare not even talk to this man because of the harm that it will bring my family. I received that question this past week. It's a challenging question. When Christ asks us to follow Him, when Christ asks us to be His disciples, when Christ asks us to love as He has loved you know, sometimes that can cost us something. And sometimes that can cost us choices with our own family. What are we to do? We're to live according to the principles of God. And while I don't know necessarily that a a Shubawadi, I, I can't even remember the name of it is is necessarily been brought about because God brought that about in their lives. The principle translates to the Good Samaritan principle and to God's love. This gentleman set aside the safety of his own family and his village, and there were repercussions. He lost a cousin. A cousin was killed because of this. His family had to move, they had to be protected. But he said, This is someone that I'm going to help, and I'm going to lay, you know. That point of conscious decision. I'm going to lay down my life and even those around me to help this person. That's a small picture. By the way, some of you are like, why are you talking about some Afghani farmer? Because if an Afghani farmer can do this, folks, should we not be that much more impressed with Jesus? Alright? You see the comparison contrast? I'm trying to get us to fall in love with what Jesus is saying here. There's several things I want you to pick up here. As we look at it, what Jesus is doing is He's giving a foreshadowing of His own death. A death that would come forth for the saving of humanity. Even those who didn't want it. So He knows where He's going. He knows what's about to happen. The disciples don't necessarily understand it. And so He's saying words that He is going to lay down His what? His life so that they might have life. And He does so because He loves them. He does so because He loves them. Jesus Jesus gives a statement, purpose, and definition for us in saying that greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for another man. He's giving us a statement of purpose. Jesus is making a statement that fruit is produced through love. Remember, this is the same conversation. He's talking about abiding in Him. He's talking about producing much fruit. And so He knows, I think He knows, the proclivities that we might have towards, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this. How many of us know people who religion is all about a task list? Right? And pacifying God. And so what Jesus is saying here is it's not about pacifying me. It is about pleasing the Father. It's about experiencing His joy. And by the way, as you produce this fruit, which is difficult work? Which is good choices? Which is following and letting Me do the work through you? By the way, it's done in love. I face that question often that you know, sometimes when people want to reach out, there are those that reach out to those who don't know the Lord yet because there's benefit for them according to their religion. That they will benefit more. They will get more later on. It's all about a a self-feeding, self-motivational package. Jesus was not about that. Jesus was about simply sacrificing and demonstrating love for our benefit. Because of what? Because of love. Because of love. So as we do what we do in bearing fruit, Jesus kind of stops This this progression of talking to the disciples and saying, by the way, if you do this mechanically, if you do this religiously, but you don't do it in love, you've missed the boat. As you and I serve, as we reach out to others, as we seek to produce fruit, my friends, if we're not doing so as an extension of love, we miss the boat. Jesus gives this statement to Judas and Peter. Now, that's an interesting statement, right? Right? I don't know 100% that Judas is there because we're not not exactly sure when this was stated. But let's just suppose that he is there. Even if he isn't, we know what happens later on in the garden where he's betrayed with a what? With a kiss. If you were about to be betrayed by someone you had trusted and had involved as a friend in your life, would you let them embrace you? as the final act of that betrayal? Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross and died to alleviate the penalty for sin. And yet, just prior to this, He shares with Peter, you will deny Me three times, Peter. No, no, I won't. Yeah, you will. You'll deny Me three times. So what do you do with that? Well, while I use a little illustration of real life with Muhammad Gulab, let me show you what the difference is. You ready? Little comparison, but this, this goes beyond. Romans 5, 6-8. through 8. You can turn there if you want. And, and growing up, this was always a hard passage for me. I never really understood this. And, and, and maybe that's you as well, because Paul is talking in uh, specifics, but he's doing so as a point of emphasis. And I never really got the point of emphasis that it lies with the very last part of this illustration, the third part. And I got too focused with the, the journey to the last part. Let me help you navigate that. It says this, starting in verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's love. That's love. If our first point this morning is that we need to love as Jesus loves, we don't love simply those that are lovable. Now those who are in the room who are married, that are uh, even slightly connected with someone uh, emotionally, romantically, look deeply into their eyes and, uh, and say, it was really hard to love you when I first met you. That works, right? No. That's not how we... Develop love in relationship. Is it? We find an attraction. We find beauty. We find principles. We find the things that. Oh come on! It's so nice. Um, I'm going to get some steak for lunch here. Okay. We find those things that are attractive to us that we desire. What did we just hear from scripture? Christ died for those that would honor Him. Christ died for those that were pursuing Him. Christ died for those who loved Him. That's what we heard, right? Christ died for the ungodly. Does this even begin to show you the difference between the love of Christ and the love that we practice? we got a long way to go. But here's the beauty and the hope of it. It says that He will give us His love. He will infuse in us the ability to love as He has loved. I had a conversation with somebody this past week that is very close to me, and yet we've only seen each other once. And we're related, but we've only seen each other once in 40, 47 of my years. And we have another relative that just is struggling so badly, and finally, this person says to me, I'm done. I am done. This person is so over the top. All they think about, you you, you can fill in the blanks. And I was able to share with them, you know what? That's why people need Christ. Because as He hung on the cross to the very people that spit on Him, to the very people that with smiles on their faces were ready to murder someone who was innocent, He looked upon them and He said to His Father, Father what? forgive them they know not what they do and as i shared that with someone close to me i said you know what this individual because of growing up how they've grown up they 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 don't even have a clue as to what they're saying to you or i and the response was that just doesn't make it better you know what that's where most of us are at isn't it that's not a good enough excuse for how we get treated. Can I encourage you, when we're talking about the love of Christ and abiding in Him, He will give us the strength to love those who hurt us. He will give us that strength because He did it. He manifested it. He showed it to us. And He's promising that even right now. Now as we continue on, it says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die now that's the stuff that i was talking about that i was like what you got to be a fifth level seminary student to pull that stuff off but that's not the point the point is the next the next part of the verse here it says this but god shows his love for us that while we were still sinners christ died for us you see the issue here and what paul's trying to say is hey it never really happens but you know, if it had to happen, we would probably die for someone that we really care about that's good, right? We value that person. You, you could probably picture in your mind, no greater love hath anyone than to lay down his life. Who are you going to lay down your life for? Make the checklist right now. Okay, husband, wife, family. I could see myself doing that. Maybe you're like, well, not this person in my family. I don't think I could do that. And so that's what Paul's saying is that, you know, for a righteous man, you know, somebody might, but they probably wouldn't need to. And then, you know, even for a good man, they they would be probably willing to. But who is willing to die for the jerk? Who is willing to lay down their life for the offensive? Who's willing to lay down their life for the Roman soldier who pierced the side of Jesus? That is the love. That He's talking about to the disciples. Remember, it's a foreshadowing. He's laying it out there. They don't get it yet. And then they're going to watch events transpire where He's going to demonstrate it. Remember 1 John 3.16? Let's not just talk. Let me show you how it's done. Love. Love as Jesus loved. How do we lay down our life for each other? Let me give you some practical level stuff here, shall I? Here we go. There's the Roman six. We sacrifice. Start small, my friend. Stop thinking about yourself. Sacrifice. Sacrifice for family. Right. We were here yesterday. There's a great party for Michael. And uh, I complimented Kat. She'd done all these incredible things for her son's 18th birthday. And that was sacrificial. I probably wouldn't have. I might have made one thing for Dylan. And that, you know, and say, here you go, son. There you go. I love you. And cat uh, the mother's love just kept going and going. It was just a cornucopia of love all over out there. It was fabulous. We sacrifice for family. We sacrifice for friends, don't we? We sacrifice for strangers. Some of us have done that. We did that a lot this past Christmas from this church. We built a house for someone we didn't even know. And we traveled a uh, Long distance into Mexico and some of us funded the ability to build that house and some of us built it and some of us reached out to children around the world that we didn't even know and did hundred and nineteen, a hundred and probably over a thousand boxes, I'm sure, for uh, for kids around the world that that have nothing. And then on Christmas Day here, not Christmas Day, but Christmas Sunday Day, we took an offering and we bought. uh uh, uh, two milking cows three french hens and you know and and those went out to people we don't know we sacrificed for strangers that we don't know that's what love looks like because that's how jesus loves remember this you aren't here for you i'm going to boil it down to simplest terms right all you math people break it down to simplest terms you are not here for you by the way that is so counter-cultural This afternoon when you're watching TV, look at the commercials. It's all about you. It's all about satisfying your desires and taking your money and using it on you. That's the world that you and I are immersed in. Can you start, can I start, remembering that Christ never made it about Himself? That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. And that will bear fruit. You know, it's interesting. We were... (laughs) I don't know what we were watching as a family. We were watching something the other night, and uh, I saw a teaching moment. And so I'm telling my girls about this illustration. Some of you have probably heard it about, um, you know, eons ago, maybe 18th century. There's a young couple that deeply love each other, but they have nothing. But he was given an antique watch from his, his grandfather that was worth a lot of money. And she had beautiful long... I'm, I'm watching you guys. Oh yeah, I know this one. She had beautiful long hair and that's all she had. So he decided, you know, I'm going to sell my watch and buy her ribbons for Christmas for her beautiful hair. And what did she do? She cut off her hair so that she could sell that hair for Make-A-Wish Foundation. I don't know. Um, sell her hair for, for something. And then she bought him a chain for his gold watch. And they exchanged that for Christmas. And... Uh, And Janine turned to me and she said, she said, what's the name of that thing? And uh, I said, "Uh, I don't know. Uh, And and I probably should have said something like, "Um, oops. Um, But I I said something probably a little bit more um, colorful. Um, But the idea of looking at it's not about us is important. A point of reference scripturally, Romans 12, 9 through 14. Write that down. We don't have time to get into it this morning. But that's how you love. That's how you love is Jesus' love. Love defined by friends, verses 14 through 15. Let's look back at it. Ready? Verses 14 through 15 says this You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known. To you fascinating fascinating now just real briefly remember that they're scared they're frustrated they're hearing that he's leaving and so he's reaffirming the relationship with them that's part of what he's doing but he just took this connection with humanity to a whole new level right and some of you that are familiar with the calvary chapel movement and um you know Christians are really good at creating movements that kind of go through. And, and, uh, and so there's whole denominations called Friends Church that, that are based off of this. And sometimes we, we do lose a little bit of this honor and respect that Jesus is Jesus. You know, let's keep track of that. Some Hebrews 13 stuff. But Jesus Himself defines the relationship shrouded in love. That because of love, And because of other elements here, he's saying, you are no longer servants. You're no longer those ones that just do my bidding or follow my commandments. You are my friends. And let me explain why. And he goes into these characteristics of friendship. He said what? He said, you're no longer my servants because I have revealed to you what my Father has said. That's a statement of deep trust how many of you have deep secrets issues don't raise your hands otherwise your your friends and partners are gonna be like what how many of us have those deep things and thinking back towards our life we just aren't willing to share with anybody as a matter of fact that's what defines the closeness of relationship is when I finally do trust someone enough, I'm willing to share that deeper area of my heart and my vulnerability and my concerns. This is what Jesus is saying. He defines friendship. Friendship is shrouded in sacrifice. Friendship is uh, shrouded in trust. And then devotion is, is what the disciples did, right? Jesus saw them and He said, come follow Me. Talk about loyalty, it's one of the, the principles that I value deepest in friendship, is loyalty. And I think it, what, friendship is never based off of our ability to perform, I don't think. It wasn't, it wasn't Jesus's, it was based off of devotion and love. The disciples didn't always get it, if you know the disciples. As a matter of fact, Peter's about to commit one of the biggest sins that we see written on the New Testament pages. Judas is about to completely betray Him. And what is He using? He's talking about friends. You're My friends. Because they walked with Him. They didn't always get it right. They weren't always producing fruit well. But they stayed loyal. They stayed connected. And they tried to obey they did so out of love. And this is the importance of what we have to grasp today. That when it comes to abiding in Christ, when it comes to bearing fruit, that Jesus is saying it's, it's shrouded, it's based in love. And the, by the way, the result of that is I am now going to call you friend. We don't have a business relationship here anymore, guys. You are my friend. What a great thing to be called a friend of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, this word friend, it's, it's this word philos. Uh, and, you know, a lot of you have heard about, you know, the city of Philadelphia, you know, all that. The, the Greek word Philadelphia. And that there are these multiple Greek words for different kinds of love. That we lose it in, in English. We want to simplify it. We want to make it very simple But contextualizing what love means, my love for my friends is very different than my love for my wife. My love for my children is different than my love for, uh, say, God, this agape love. All right? And so the concept here is that this word that he used for friends is connected to the idea of brotherly love. It is self defining. That in Romans 12, if you go to Romans 12 and verse, uh, I think it's verse. Uh, 10 actually speaks to the issue of be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And that's the word Philadelphia of which this philos is a root of. He's speaking about love when he says friends in actuality. The word can mean beloved. It, It can mean dear. It's a term of endearment. It's a term that's relational and connecting and sincere. How do we define friendship? Let's let Jesus define that for us. Next, love defined by pursuit. We're in verse 16. Let's read it. He says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit... And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. So this gets a little interesting. That when he's talking about bearing fruit, he's defining the relationship that he now spoke up as friends. And I'm not going to go too deep into a side trail of definition of of some uh, theology here because that's not his main point. His main point is simply that out of love, I chose you. Because I love you, I chose you. And I chose you to do what? I chose you to bear fruit. And you cannot bear fruit without whom? Without me. So what? Remain in me. Remain in me. But this all started because He chose us. What does that do for us? He chose us to bear fruit. He will supply. He expects us to ask for help from the Father. Interestingly enough, when we look at this concept that he chose us, we don't need to nuance the text. We know that he chose each of these disciples. When Jesus chooses us, the following happens. We're given opportunity for belief. You and I are given opportunity. We've been given an introduction. Last night we had uh, some newer folks over to our house uh, for FaceTime with the Friar. And we started out with this introduction so we could get to know one another. There's been an introduction. And Jesus is kind of doing the same thing here where as He reaches out to you, as He chooses you, now there's this opportunity for belief. So here's where I'm going to dance a little bit in the, in the theology and the doctrine. Some would say, well, Jesus, Jesus chooses us and it's all about predestination. The challenge is, is that now there are verses that speak to the fact that we then have to receive Him. John 1. Speaks to this. Receiving indicates a choice. When we choose not to receive Him, Romans 1, there are consequences to that choice. But please understand that it is initiated by Christ. Now, why make a point of that? Because Jesus made a point of it. He's saying, Greater love hath no one other than to lay down their life. Then He's saying, you are my friends. You're no longer a servant. You are friends. And by the way, I chose you. There's something significant about that. There's something defining about that. That if you've been given that opportunity to know Jesus, there is a beauty of understanding that God has reached out to you. Please, don't reject that calling. Don't reject that calling. We are given confidence in love He's initiating the relationship and we are given access to salvation and to the Father. And we see that in the prayers. John 6, 35-37 says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Choice is on our behalf. But I said to you that you have seen Me and yet do not believe. So accountability for choice. All that the Father gives Me, representing God's design in all of this and the Father giving and the Father initiating, they will what? They will come to me. There's no denying of that. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John thirteen seventeen through 18 says this, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the Scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. But there's other Scripture as well that helps us understand our participation in this choosing or this friendship. It says this in John 1, 12-13, But to all who did receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. Listen to these dialogues throughout the passages of Scripture. God says to Cain, as Cain is pouting in his room, He says, if you do what is right, will it not go well for you? Indicating, Cain, choose that which is right and you will be blessed. Joshua says to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. Moses, striking the rock, was a choice of his that he was then accountable for. When you look at the seven churches in Asia, out of Revelation 2 and 3, over and over, He commends them for their choices to either follow Him and, and make sure that they don't lose their first love, or He admonishes them and say your choices have been bad, you've chosen to follow the evil one. And He says, you'll be held accountable for that choice. So what I'm trying to present to you is that there is a relationship here, and love is underneath all of it. That God chose us because He what? He loved us. We respond to that access to the Father through love of our reaction and choice. Repentance is another big area where we have to choose. Now the Holy Spirit is the one that's convicting us of that. But we, in our process, have to choose to repent. He expects us to ask the Father for help. Did you hear that? He does it again. He just did it in the previous section as well. He's done it multiple times. He gives us a promise. Let's go back to it. Verse 16. He says, So that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. This gives me permission to ask Father God today at 3.30, please strike Russell Wilson with pancreatitis. Oh, wow. I just went over a cliff, didn't I? That was a little rough. Sorry. Okay. I thought I thought this group was savagely uh, all about the 49ers. Let me ratchet it back a little bit now. Um, let me clarify. No! Let me use a completely different illustration so that you don't hate me. Um, since we're talking about love. I have the ability to turn to God and ask, God, I want... This for myself. I want this for myself. I want this for myself. If you haven't caught the message, He says it again. Whatever you ask in My name. Picture a throne room. And you're an emissary from a former country or or foreign country, whatever. And you come before the king and you say you know, your son came through on his journeys and he told me that I could have this parcel of land over here. And the king looks to him and says, no, my son would never say that. My son would never grant that to you. Or, you know what? I know exactly why my son said for you to come to me and ask for that. Because I know my son's plans because they're my plans and I told him to go and tell you that. Because I have plans for that land and now you're participating with me. That's how this works. That's how this works. It is not an excuse for us to go to God and say, give me everything I want for here. Remember, Jesus never made it about himself. We don't make it about ourselves. We act in love as he loved. Lastly, the purpose of this instruction is that we would love one another. Verse 17 says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. These things I command you. That's not a passive voice. Have you ever gotten a command from somebody? My computer gives me commands all the time. No, I will not do that. No, I will not do that. It's not speaking to me in the passive voice. And I do not respond back to my computer in a passive voice either. This is an imperative. Jesus is saying, pay attention, this is important. So usually when you get a command, it's going to be something that's, oh, okay, all right, I I have to do this. I have to follow through with this. I'm probably not going to like it. And what does he say? What does he say? He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. He wants us to abide in Him. He wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to glorify the Father. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to sacrifice and lay down our lives for one another as Christ would lay down His life for us. All out of love. As I practice these things, I grow in my love for you. As you practice these things with one another, you grow in your love and affection for one another. But the greatest thing for us to practice is to love as He loved. Remember, that was the first point. And so when there is a person or an individual or even a group that isn't doing it the way we would want, or we would feel justified in being angry at them, or we would feel like we're the victim or the offended, I want you to remember what Jesus said before He hung on the cross. Just hours before He hung on the cross. He said, greater love has no one than to lay down His life. And by the way, not for those that He appreciates, not just for those that He calls friends, but even those that are His enemies. That's love. Not out of obligation. Not out of coercion do we seek to bear fruit through abiding in Him, but through love. Let me close in prayer this morning. And I encourage you, take these words, take the message of Christ, and apply it into your life this week. You cannot be human and not have a way to apply this. Because we stumble around in all of our relationships. So think, How can I bear fruit in this area? And how can I depend on Christ to work His love through me when it just seems overwhelming? I I can't do that, Lord. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised who you can love in spite of themselves and in spite of the difficulty. Let's pray. Lord, You give us all things. You lay before us a table. Even before our enemies. You have victory over death. You alone are worthy to be praised. And Father, if this story ended there, it would be a magnificent story, but this is a story of love that we all respond to. Because it was out of Your love for us, that You lay down Your life. We are Your friends. Let us strive to be loyal. Let us strive to sacrifice like You sacrificed. Let us strive to trust You. And then Lord, take these elements and let us use them to the relationships around us that the world deems so toxic. Father, we were destined for death. If it wasn't for You and Your tremendous love, we would be despairingly gone. What a beautiful message about Your love. Let Your Spirit take these words, seal them upon our hearts, infect our thinking, and let us bear much fruit. To Your glory, Father. Amen.